Welcome to Filling the Gap. According to the U.S. Department of Health Services, over 130 people die a day from opioid-related drug overdoses. 130 people. This is a crisis, and it impacts our communities and our churches. These addictions do not happen overnight. Addictions often stem from deep-rooted pain, from gaps within ourselves. And we fill these gaps with whatever we can, trying to fix ourselves. On previous episodes, we have discussed the healing power of vulnerability. And I think the person on this episode is a perfect example of just that. Tina Cooper shares about her past struggle with an opioid addiction, the impact it has had, and the lessons she's learned. But Tina is so much more than her addiction. She is a mother of four, a committed wife, a devout church member, a loving daughter, and a woman full of God's compassion. We'll learn more about who she is, but we'll start at the very beginning of her story. Well, I was raised here in Portland, Oregon. Um, I was raised between my grandmother and my mom. My mom was a single mother. There were moments where I'd stay out at my grandmother's house. And my father, he was a local football star, and my mom met him her freshman year at Southern Oregon College. And my mom was a typical square. I mean, she did not know much of the world because she was born in such a very strict Adventist home. When she got to that school, she was exposed to everything, including him. Tina and her father had a very complicated relationship. My dad, he would hide from me. He would, I'd go by, I'd see his car outside her house, and I knew he'd be in there, and I'd go and knock on the door and say, Grandma, can I see my dad? And she'd be like, no, he's not here. My dad has been addicted to just about every kind of drug there is. I can remember being in his car and watching him do all these various types of deals. I would say, you know, I'd never, I'm never going to do that because I saw the effect it would have on him and, you know, how he would put his needs over his children's needs. So I was like, no, I'm never, that's not going to happen to me. And that's what I thought for a long time is that, no, you know, I'm too good for this. I know better. Tina married, had kids, and was on track to create a beautiful family life. Early on in her motherhood, she began to experience debilitating migraines. I started having these headaches, and I I didn't know what they were coming from. I wouldn't get a warning. I would just get, it felt like someone was kicking me in the back of my head. That's how bad they were. To the point where, you know, I would take aspirin, aspirin didn't work. I had to go to the emergency room, and the only thing that worked at that time was Dilantin, which was a drug that they gave you when you came out of surgery. It's a powerful pain drug, and I started getting them like three times a week. They were just coming in clusters. They were really bad, and they were making my nose bleed. Um, One time they hurt so bad I pulled out the top of my hair. So yes, for 28 years, I've been suffering from migraines. Navigating life through the pain was challenging, but Tina managed. 
she and her husband began having discussions about the future of their family. My husband and I had discussed, you know, birth control. One of the options they had explored was a tubal ligation. My OBGYN, his concern of if I had a tubal ligation, in order for them to numb me, they have to put a needle in your back. And often there's fluid that, that drains from your spine, and that fluid alone could kill me. So his concern was my life. My husband had had like five different consultations on a vasectomy. I just knew he was going to get it done. After the fifth consultation, I mean, like, come on. He had agreed. It came to the day of the vasectomy that Saturday morning. I'll never forget. And it was like at 7. And he had to be at the hospital like within the next hour. And he gets up and he says, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, I was heated. I was so heated. That actually stemmed from my childhood because my dad chose things over me. So whenever Kenneth did it, I kind of merged the two. I had just these a whole bunch of medical issues after I had the tubal ligation. Basically, when you stop your body's natural flow of things, it's gonna cause issues. So because I had band on my tubes, I had a form of endometriosis called adenomyosis. The only two prognoses is one, you can be on pain meds the rest of your life or have a, tube, or have a hysterectomy. And I was devastated. Not, it's not that I was planning to have any more kids, but I felt like my right was stolen from me. So I was very, very angry with Kenneth. I, it, it's, it's taken a long time just to, just to even be able to say that because I just felt like he was more worried about himself than he was for me. Aside from the emotional pain connecting her past and her present, Tina faced many complications from the surgery. I started overusing my pain medication. I just was like, okay. I don't have any energy today, let me take one. Then one became two, two became four. Then it just kept going and going. Her broken heart became a gap within her, and she felt like the only way to mend it was to numb it. My drug of choice was hydrocodone, Vicodin. And back then, they were just, I mean, you could go in and have a twitch in your eye and they're giving it to you. And then with me going in with my migraines, it was a justification for them to do it. I was in pain. And, you know, you're not supposed to be in pain. They're trying to make sure your pain is managed. And I thought it was managed. You know, I thought I was doing fine, taking 20 to 30 Vicodin a day or taking, you know, 20 to 30 oxycodone a day. And I got to the point where I was taking it just to be nice, just so that I can feel like I'm accepted. So I'm just taking it, I'm singing on the praise team, I'm doing everything, nobody's knowing that I'm, I'm really physically dying up here. You know, and I thought that, I thought people liked me the nicer I was. And that was all under the, the guise of being addicted because what I was doing was I was staying in my room. The kids would come home and I'd see them, then I'd go back into my room. And I was really, really depressed, not knowing I was depressed, but I was really, really in a very dark place. 
and it took off from there, controlling her life. This addiction grew more aggressive as time went by. I had a procedure done on my knee, and I, um, they wouldn't give me a refill. So then I said, well, I'm going to call in my own refill. So I go to the drive-thru and go pick it up. So before we get ready to leave, there's this cop car pulls in front of our car. Then one pulls behind. And so they come to me and they say, are you Tina Cooper? I said, yes. And they say, can you step out the car? I said, sure, what's going on? Step out the car. And then I see the other sergeant is inside the Walgreens. He's listening to the recording of me calling in. So I get arrested. They pulled me out the car, but they didn't put any handcuffs or anything on me because I didn't want my kids to see that. And they put me in the back of that cop car and that I would never want my kids to ever see. And I knew that I needed to get some help at that point, but it still didn't sink in because my addiction was so bad that I would go to urgent cares just to make up something to so that I could get more. Addiction isn't something that goes away readily. And Tina faced the consequences of that disease when she was arrested and jailed. While in jail, Tina saw the realities of the addiction as she sat in the room with other women struggling in the same way she was. I knew that God was with me the whole time because when I was there, I remember um, I was listening to all these women talk about their various um, issues, you know, to drugs or how they have issues with the DHS because of their kids and all these things. And they're not able to get their children back. And I was fortunate because my children were with me. I didn't get removed from the home. And that was only God because they could have they could have said, you're a threat to your home. You know, I put my kids in harm way because I did. So once I got arrested, I, I had said I needed to get some help. And so I ended up going to um, CODA. Codependence Anonymous an addiction treatment center. I was in a very intense outpatient rehab. It took a minute for my family to understand about addiction it being, it's a disease, it's a, it really is, it's a disease. It's a disease just like hypertension, just like leukemia, just like diabetes, I said, it is a disease. And even though society looks at it and says, well, you know, they're choosing to take that drug. It's not a choice. Once you're addicted, you're addicted. It takes a lot to get people to want to stop. I had to go through that. There was a reason why God wanted me to go that. Even if it was just for me to share the little bit of good news that I could with those women for those short time that we were in there. Because when you're in there with women from all various walks of life, and some of these women, I mean, it's a habit. Like, yep, I'm here. This is my 18th day. Um, but, you know, I'm having to go through this to get my children back. So and I always say I want to be part of the solution of issues. And so I said that if I ever can come into any money, I would open a sober living home for women with children. Because I just find that 
the system is so fragile and it's not serving the women well, especially women that have children under 12, you know, and they're having to go back and forth from foster homes or, or something like that. And so I was just like, you know, God, is this the reason why I'm going through this? Is there something that I need to share with someone? Or is this something that I needed to see? And I did need to see. I needed to see that, yes, I could have got my kids taken away from me. I could have been given a jail sentence. You know, there's things that definitely could have happened. And I praise God that those things never happened. In her pathway to recovery, Tina embraced the support group at the center. And she realized she needed to bring that home. She decided to have her family share their story about dealing with her addiction. I had my own form of Alnon in my house, so they were able to tell me how my addiction had affected each of my kids, and that was the hardest meeting. Because my daughter, she felt that I was being selfish because I was taking these pills. She didn't understand the addiction aspect of it. And how I did not have any control over that. My active addicted years was almost two years. So basically for two years, my kids had to take care of themselves. My husband had to step in. My daughter ended up being the mother of the house for two years. But my daughter and my relationship, it, it, it kind of broke during those two years because she was angry. She was very angry with me. And she had every right to be angry with me. Her and I have had to have some tough but loving conversations about that time. To say the healing process was difficult is an understatement. But Tina was given a gift, the ability to see through God's eyes, to empathize and to help others. I know, though, me going through this addiction, it has opened my eyes to various people that go to our church because I can tell by looking at someone if they're struggling with addiction. And I will never, ever allow anyone to suffer the way I had to suffer because I was in church every week, every week, and dying. I was physically dying. Even if the church doesn't have an NA meeting, I will take them to an NA meeting if they need that, if they're willing to go and they need that help because we have all sorts of addictions in our churches and no one's saying anything about them. The gap that addiction creates is possible to restore, using the right resources. Tina shares how we can be a part of that restoration for those struggling with addiction. Someone is struggling with something and we need to be able to help them. And if that is what I, if that is what God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. You cannot tell me that we don't serve a God of second chances. Whether it's your fifth chance, your 50th chance, He's there. He is there. And I will never, ever see someone suffering and not stop and help. I will never not do that because someone helped me. The gap that addiction creates is possible to restore using the right resources. Tina shares how we can be part of the restoration for those struggling with addiction. Ask the question, 
if you see someone just struggling, just ask them, are you okay? You know, and that person will decide either way they want to share or they don't want to share. But it's kind of like when you know someone is not themselves, something's wrong. There's definitely something wrong. You know, I would hope that my experience that I'm just beginning to start to tell people will just break down walls and allow other people to see you for who you are. Because now it's like, that is my purpose when I go to church. You know, I look for those that are just, even if they just need a hug, give them that hug. Sometimes it just is that simple little question, are you okay? And someone will let you know if they're truly okay or if they're not okay. Make whatever environment that that person is safe enough to say, yes, I'm struggling with this. You know, and even you just listening, you may not be able to help them, but sometimes just having someone to unload to can leave a person feeling lighter. Because it's kind of like you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, but once you're able to release that, you know, it becomes much lighter to bear. This is the responsibility we bear as people of our communities, churches, and this world. We can help others fill the gaps. Tina shares more about the lessons she's learned on this journey. I learned that we serve a God that cares about your most precious need, that he, we're, we, are, we serve a God of detail. He also uses you, whatever your circumstance is, it's always for your good. It may not feel good while you're in it, but just know that it's going to be there for your good. What I'm learning being sober is that I like me sober. Learning just to be Tina is okay. My oldest son tells me all the time, he says, Mom, you're the strongest person I know, and I hold dear to that. I love all my kids, and our kids, <laughs> they keep me sober, <laughs> but they are very, uh, I wouldn't trade my kids for nothing. This world, I wouldn't trade my husband for nothing in this world either, and that took some time for me to even just say that. Everyone heals in different ways. It may take longer for others than it may for you. We've talked about this before on the podcast. The healing journey may wind and twist and turn unexpectedly, but there is healing at the end of it. I have chosen to believe that God doesn't create the pain we experience, nor does he complicate the journey we go on. I believe he journeys with us standing beside our every move, whether it is good for us or not. If you struggle with addiction, know that you are not alone in your journey. If you are supporting someone through an addiction, know you are not alone in your journey. To fill the gaps we see around us, we need to connect and share, like Tina. For more help and information about addiction, please visit the show notes on our website. And thank you for filling the gap.